like is that a cloud of thoughts or a cloud in the sky like it to me like i feel like there's an indication of some kind of i almost want to say like a border or a barrier or like maybe a recognition or representation of like how maybe we put up our own walls welcome to art is human nature a podcast where art meets the expert a podcast where i the artist speak with people who know a lot about the ideas i try to capture in my work i'm your host alexander robinson the expert i'll be speaking with for this episode is havaya mighty She is a songwriter, vocalist, producer, and performer who is also one of Canada's most talented rising stars and hands down one of the best MCs I've heard in a long time. She is also the first rapper and the first Black woman to receive the prestigious Polaris Music Prize Award. Welcome to the pod, Avaya. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited. I've been like a fan of your work for a long time, so getting you on the pod, I know it's going to be dope. To hop right into things... A tough thing for a lot of us growing up is finding our voice and finding our purpose. And you've definitely found that with music. So the first question I wanted to ask you is, when did you realize music was your calling? And what do you love most about music? I think that I realized music was my calling before I knew I realized it. Like I was in music singing lessons at a very young age from the age of four. I was surrounded by three older sisters who were piano players and classically trained. And like, I just was very much immersed in music. So before I realized that it was my calling, I knew it was my passion. I think I knew it was my calling definitively in 2016 when I participated in the cypher that got me just so much notoriety and and recognition and attention and validation that I started to feel like those unfathomable goals of being an actual musician were finally like something I could perceive to possibly be real. So I would say 2016, uh, was the time frame when I kind of knew that this was my calling. And I would say that music means everything to me. It's like a part of all of my memories. Like I said, from the age of four to 11, I was in singing lessons. I started rapping at 12. So like pretty much the entire time I was, uh, the entire time that I've been on this earth and that I've existed, I've been kind of like creating music, immersed in music and surrounded by music. It's wild to hear how music has been a presence in your life for like really from the start. That's really cool. I want to ask you from the music production to writing to performing on stage, what would you say is your favorite part of the creative process? It's hard to say. I think that every part of the creative process is a favorite part. It just depends on the time frame, right? Like performing is is probably the most exhilarating and the most rewarding. It's kind of like that end game. Like you've made the song in studio, you put it on an album, people have heard it, they already know it. And now you get to see them react to it live. Like, that's the most rewarding thing. It's been the thing I've missed the most through this pandemic. So I'm very much looking forward to, to playing shows again and, and getting back into that groove. But I also very much love the studio process. What goes into that is also pretty amazing because you this is the, the curation of the song. It's like what the song is actually going to become. So this is kind of like, it's the most creative space, right? It's it's where the you get to dictate the direction of the song. It's it's where everything kind of happens. Um and even the process before that song happens, the exciting phase of receiving production and being like, is this what I'm going to select? Or am I going to, am I going to reproduce it? Am I going to coordinate a, a collaborator? Every part of, I think, the process of making music is 
a favorite like when you're in it. But I guess my 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 answer to actually answer the question is like the performing aspect is fun. Like that's where I feel the most rewarded. That's why I think people understand my energy the most. And I think that that's allowed my career to really do well is people seeing me live. That's led to a lot of opportunities for me more than some of like even like studio stuff that I've done. I feel like when people see me, it's it's more undeniable than those other kind of aspects because it's like you just don't see it happening. Right. So I really like performing live. With performing, like I'm not a musician, so I have no idea what this is like, but I just imagine there's something super surreal about writing music and, you know, like you're sharing your experiences and all this stuff and then having like a crowd of like hundreds or thousands of people reciting those words to you. I can only imagine the adrenaline of moments like that. So that's that's really cool to hear you say that. So you kind of mentioned the pandemic, you know, like speaking of the creative process, a big part of that is inspiration and inspiration can sometimes be an aloof thing where it comes and it goes. And I know a lot of creatives this past year, myself included, have sometimes found it difficult to find inspiration this past year. How has your experience been with creating and finding inspiration throughout this time? It's been interesting. I think that like a lot of other creatives, I'm sure, have had to do the same thing. I've had to kind of be a little bit more introspective to find that inspiration. For me, I just got my feet wet with traveling and going to the States. And I just won the Polaris Music Prize and all these incredible opportunities were coming my way. So to kind of have that fall apart, like I was like almost like getting trained to understand like this is the trajectory. This is how it works. This is what your expectations need to be. And this is how you're going to get your inspiration. So it was kind of like a hard left for me to recognize, oh, like this isn't necessarily the path and nothing is solidified and Nothing really is sold. Like you really still have to adapt. Like you always have to remember that you never know what's going to be next. So I think that that was a big thing that I had to learn. Um, And a lot of the inspiration that I got had to come from like whoever was in my five people bubble. Right. Or whoever like I I met online in that time frame or, you know, the fans that I was connecting with. It was a lot less expansive right I wasn't traveling I wasn't on planes I wasn't hearing people speaking different languages I wasn't trying different foods I wasn't going in venues and like just just get I wasn't getting any perspective you know and I definitely think perspective was what I was hoping to get to kind of write my next project and I think that's why I ended up like kind of just deciding to do a mixtape because it was like well this wasn't the vision I had but making music is still something I'm always going to do no matter what the inspiration will be at that time so I'll take I'll take this introspection I'll take like this going within as a sign that this is the step that I need that that I'm at and that next thing that I do can be that perspective and it'll be very different we've been stuck in the house for almost you know like a year and a half now so going back out will be a whole new perspective now everything is completely different than it would have been a year and a half ago so um it's just interesting to 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 feel so secure in what where your career is going to go and then like for me it was a reminder before I got too complacent that you can never get complacent. It doesn't matter what you've, uh, what you've accomplished or what you've solidified or what award you've received. You have to keep working hard and you have to keep grinding and you have to, people will forget about that thing that you did a second later that you have to adapt and stay relevant by making good music. So I think that that's what I really focused on doing. And I realized it doesn't matter what perspective, you don't get to complain about the lack of perspectives. Like if you're a musician, find a way to extract inspiration from whatever's around you. And I really spent this last year doing that. Um, by going into myself, you know, thinking about 
things that I haven't yet processed about myself and trying to understand myself better. And I honestly think that the things I've learned over the past year and a half will be in my music for years and years to come. I love your perspective on finding inspiration throughout this time. And that was definitely something like I struggled with. And it was like, I think a thing of making sure this isn't lost time. So finding a way to still progress and still move forward. And you said something very interesting where this time you spent with these introspective thoughts and how you can see that like manifesting in your music for like years to come. I think that's really cool, especially because this is something nobody like planned or accounted for. So it's changed all of us in like different ways. So from an art standpoint, I'm very excited for what this time of introspection has done for artists. So it's, it's really cool to hear you say that. So your last full body of work was the 13th Floor album, which in my opinion is a classic, like hands down. We're going to be talking about that album for like years and years to come. I think over time, it's only going to grow in its significance. And yeah, it's, it's a fantastic body of work. I know with that project and the title, there's a very thoughtful and creative concept behind it. I was wondering if you can tell me how the concept for that project came together and what that title, 13th Floor, means to you. Yeah, the concept for 13th Floor definitely is a deep one. I think it it came out of just kind of like the understanding that a lot of the themes that I was talking about on the records, uh, and there's 13 records. There's also a record called 13. Uh, that's a very powerful record. I think it's the most powerful record on the project. But in addition to those two things, I also recognize that all of the songs were kind of talking about themes that I've usually felt uncomfortable talking about around my peers and around new audiences. And I really had to come to a place of understanding to feel like I could put these types of themes that make everyone feel so uncomfortable in music, music that I expect people to listen to and enjoy. It was a very difficult process, like going through life and feeling these things and then kind of like wondering if what you're feeling is real or like are you being gaslit or like are you being logical or rational or how am I supposed to feel about this thing that other people can't understand and I feel like I came to an understanding on that project and that's what I spoke to the things that I know that I've experienced that are often dismissed by so many other people so it's almost like your reality is being dismissed so I was barking up the tree of the number 13 because of 13 records on the project 13 songs and also the fact that I had a song called 13 and initially I was like, maybe I'll call the album 13, like based on the 13th Amendment. But I was like, oh, every song isn't about the 13th Amendment. But I think thinking about numerology, thinking about the number 13, I stumbled upon the idea of the 13th floor, which is a floor that exists that we pretend doesn't exist, even though we know that it exists. And we just have this understanding that it doesn't exist. And so we dismiss the existence of it based on, I, most of us don't even know what it's based on. It could be based on folklore, omens, this and that, but Based on what we don't even understand, we've decided collectively as a, as a society, hotels and these buildings will just have a 12th and then a 14th floor. It's just like this really weird concept that we all just kind of know uh, that we don't believe. And I feel like racism is like that. You know, I feel like a lot of the experiences I've grown up experiencing have felt like that. Like everybody kind of knows this exists. We know that 400 years of this has literally existed on paper. We, we've seen the pictures, we learn about it in classrooms. And yet when I talk about my experiences, it's like, mm, that doesn't happen in Canada. Mm, that couldn't affect you the way that you seem to be impacted. Like literally to me, like just straight up gaslighting. And so 
writing this project felt like, wow, there's going to be a lot of people that listen to this and think that I like I have no idea what I'm talking about or like my narrative isn't real. So the, the songs aren't coming from a real place. And I think that that's why, you know, 13th Floor was such a fitting and suitable title for the project, because I just felt like this is a very controversial piece. And I know some people are going to innately think that this this is not like worth the conversation. And that's literally why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because so many people think it's not worth the conversation that I have to create this uh, piece of uh, art to take up that space to validate the people like me that know that these discussions, first of all, like have been needing to be had and right now need to be had, you know, like somebody has to spearhead the conversation and so many other people have. I just wanted to contribute to it in the way that I saw best and doing it through my music is definitely my work of activism. That's how I make political statements is through my art. So yeah, that's uh, why I named the project 13th floor. And I feel like it really, you know, aligned with what this project means to me. It's it's not it's not super common that you get music projects that like with like such strong concepts and ideas behind them. So that's that's amazing. And I'm really glad I was able to ask you about that because I think like people knowing that and knowing, you know, like the thinking behind it makes the music hit like even harder, you know, like knowing that there was a lot of thought put into it. But I also know that you have a new body of work coming out, a mixtape called Stock Exchange. Can you tell us a little bit about that upcoming project? And can you break down the concept behind that one and the title? Absolutely. I mean, Stock Exchange literally came out of the fruition of the pandemic. Like I said, like in February of 2020, I was like, I was touring. I was like in the US. I was, uh, I did Sway in the Morning. I performed in San Francisco, Montreal, LA, back to back. These were like a lot of firsts for me. I was like, this is the life. I'm setting up meetings. I'm talking to labels. I'm like doing the thing. And then I was in LA. That was the last stop on the tour when I found out that it was going to, like, we were going to go into lockdown. Shows might get canceled. I was like, nah, this is crazy. This can't happen. And then my next run of shows like with South by Southwest and I had like three shows I'd been trying to get South by Southwest for like three four years so I was like yeah this is like my career is literally taken off and then all those shows got canceled and everything else after that subsequently also got canceled it was crazy and the only positive in this because there was a lot of negatives was that I was wondering with all these shows how I was going to be able to have the time to write new music so since I was doing no shows and there was all this time to write new music it was the only thing that I could think to do but I had no concept. I had no theme. I had no new inspo. My my intent was to get that on the road. My intent was to get that perspective while traveling. So uh, no longer having that, I didn't know where to get perspective. I didn't know where to get insight. But I knew that I just had to make music. Like, that's just what I have to still commit to. And even though I don't have the insight I thought I would have or the perspective I thought I would have, I just wanted to see what would I come up with. And I had to go within self, as we talked about earlier, and be introspective to make that music. So... When I was working on all of these tracks initially, I was just working on singles. I was not intending to make a body of work. I was like, I'll just make tracks and I'll put them out as individual singles and people will get that. And that's, you know, that's the, all I really had in my mind. There's nothing to go off of. As I started to release the singles, I started to release them in November of 2020. I started off with Atlantic, then I dropped Occasion, then I dropped Antisocial, Obia, and I just kept going. I think Good On My Own Tonight, Way Too Fast, then I just dropped Protest. I dropped a bunch of these singles, which are all going to be a part of the body of work that is Stock Exchange. But initially, they were just going to be singles that wasn't a part of a body of work at all. Just tracks that live on their own, you know, as an individual three-minute, four-minute, whatever story, and that's what you get. As I was releasing these songs, 
initially it was anti-concept, anti-theme. Like, I'm just like, there is no theme to what's happening right now. This is literal chaos. We have no idea what's happening. We don't know what's next. I couldn't even fathom the concept of a theme at that time. Um, I couldn't fathom what we were living in. But what I started to recognize as we started to release the singles was there became a reoccurring theme of how we assessed the singles when they came out because I wasn't playing any shows to assess them, uh, like other than like like kind of like live streams. So in order to assess what songs I should play for the shows, it was like, well, what did the what did the stats say? What does the data say? What is the online? How many shares does the song have? How many plays does it have? How many streams does it have? And I started to feel like my validation was only coming off of like these digital kind of assets and there was nothing in real in the real world no real human connection to fall back on to validate and this is a interestingly dangerous place to be for sure as a creative um the theme for me was reminding myself that the stats don't indicate what real world connections indicate and to not get too wrapped up in thinking that my value is what the stats are whether the stats are positive or negative like your, your value is not that like you put it out and the stats can't mean too much, but also the stats mean so much when it's all you got. And in a time frame of having only digital opinions and shares and saves and pre-saves and all these things to validate you, it started to feel very much like the stock exchange, which I was, I was also doing a little bit of research on this year. And there was this very interesting parallel to me of like, like stocks and bonds and like the value of those things being based on how many people invest into it, how many people share it, how many people um, believe that this market's going to do well versus how many people like a lot of what the stock exchange is, is perceived value. And the actual real value is based on the perception of the value of a company. Right. So I started to think about the concept of that. Like you're as valuable as the perception of you. Right. And unfortunately, like that can't indicate your real value. You have to separate like paper value and then real value, like to, in, to stay mentally sane. But that's how the music industry works today. Like your perceived value is what other people think about you. And the more you're validated by an entity, the more other people will feel like I can too see you in that light. This is the same idea if we think about the concept of like the US validating Canadian artists. And then we're like, yeah, that's ours. We, But they were validated by something already. So their perceived value was already big. It's easy to be like, yeah, I could buy into that. It's just like a stock. You're, you, Apple stocks, easy investment. But a company that nobody's heard of, mm, I don't know if I want to invest in that. I never heard of it. So it started to, I started to realize I'm like a stock on the market. And I'm selling myself to strangers. And I'm trying to per show them that there's value. And the more people that recognize that there's value in me, the more people that also... It's just there was this interesting parallel to what I was living in and, you know, what the music industry is is like in 2020 and in 2021. I've watched people put out records and, you know, just have to cancel the tour that associates the album. So how are you, you know, it's crazy because that validates you. When you go out there and all those people are screaming your name, it's a dangerous thing because you're used to that. And when it's not happening, you're like, well, am I, do I, am I anybody? Does anybody care? And it's like, I mean, they do. You do. You have to kind of separate that stock exchange value and then like that internal like life value. What your family thinks, what your what your partner thinks, what your friends think, versus the, the internet. It, you have to look at it like a system. It's you know, and it's a community just like just like the stock network. The stock exchange network is a community of people that want to connect over something and maybe want to profit off of something in that industry. Maybe they want to profit financially, but when they're listening to your music, they want to profit off of your messaging. They want to profit off of uh, the, the insight. They want to profit off of being the first one to discover you. They want to, right? So all of that really just, it just felt so streamlined and parallel to me. Um, 
that the, the 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 theme that I thought was no theme became the stock exchange theme. So that's how we came up with the title. And I think what's also interesting about this project is it's different. It's a mixtape, not an album. This whole thing is like a strategy year for me, right? Like even in that concept to try to, to like discover how to like raise the stock value of my brand is very much like based on the strategies we're trying and the different things that we're discovering to do and all the press is like the research that people that invest in my stock, they use that research as like the same research you would do when you're like, is this stock of value? Is this artist going to be around for a long time? Is this someone worth getting involved? Is this, a, is this someone I should be a fan of? Like, is this person committed to their art? Will they give me new music often or will they not? Right. So uh, it's very interesting how we came to the title because initially I didn't want to do a project this year at all. But I decided, you know, a mixtape is kind of like a lower priority project from an album. You can kind of play around with it differently and and that's what I did with this project. So that's, yeah, that's where Stock Exchange came from. And um, as much as it's a mixtape, this is still a concept. It's still a, very much like a concept album. Everything we do um, and everything I try to do is with some sort of depth to it. And it's it, with the intention of getting people to think outside of the box a little bit. So whether it's to think outside of the box of perceived value or even literally investing in stocks, like I think the idea and concept of investing in self is also a big aspect for me in this whole uh, transition is like, I never thought that I'd be in a pandemic working for myself, right? Doing music at that, this like recreational thing that you have to remind yourself is a need for so many. Like it feels not like a need. I'm not a doctor. I don't, I don't fix hearts, right? But it's like, but you might with your song when someone's heart is broken and they listen to you and that brings them back. So also that, like recognizing that, that that value, like you just don't know what it looks like. Don't tell yourself that this amount of plays means that you didn't make somebody's day over here. Or like don't let, you know, a lack of having a million streams make you not realize that those 26 comments on your YouTube video is those people really connecting with you. It might not be a million people, but they did and they're invested. And that's how, that's how you grow that, you know, that's, you just keep reinvesting into the people that also are investing into you. So a long way to say that's how we came to the title of stock exchange and the concept. And it's, uh, it's very connected to the pandemic in a, in a very distanced way. That's such a great concept. And like, I'm noticing like a pattern here, like for you, it seems like you just come up with like these great concepts, you know, like 13th floor is a great concept. Stock exchange, another great concept. That's awesome. Cause like, that's not necessarily something that comes naturally or is easy for a lot of artists. So like having that skill to do that and like contextualize your work is, is amazing. I'm super excited to hear that like full body of work, especially hearing the concept, like that's just flames. I want to get into a song specifically that's going to be on this project, which is Protest. You guys recently dropped the video for that. And firstly, like that song, it's it's so powerful. And there's like this ominous kind of like paranoia vibe to the production. But then you and Yizzy are like, you guys are unfazed by it. And you guys have like this commanding presence in spite of this production that can almost like scare people away. You guys are still standing up. You guys are still projecting. Can you tell me a little bit about the process of that song? Yeah, definitely. I'm glad that that song resonates with you. I'm so happy with how it came together. I met up with my one of my producers, Young Dreads, and I just had a conversation with him recently. And he reminded me like what actually happened because my memory is trash. But what he reminded me of is that he had a production, but we ended up only using the end of it, like the the piano part at the end and then he he went back and kind of reproduced 
it based on like what energy I was letting him like letting him know I was trying to come with after our session. He just he's just a really creative producer. I've worked with him before. Um, actually, before 13th Floor, we did a project called Flower City, and that was me and Young Dreads. That was just us. And I just think he gets my sound. He he plays keys. He knows my, like, ominous. You know, I, I do like dark production. It pulls out kind of, like, the heartfelt sentiments that I have in my in my head and, in, and on my heart. So those keys led to me writing the, the singing part. The singing part, I'm pretty sure, came first. And then uh, based off of that, he ended up reproducing, like, this drill part. And then I ended up coming with the chorus. I remember feeling like I'm 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 out of my I'm out of my league with this. Like, like I, is this right? Like, is it right for me to be on a UK drill beat? Like, are people gonna understand that? Like, this is authentic energy for me. Like, it was just interesting, you know, to to work on that. And initially, it was like a lot of different feelings because in February I had the beat. Months later, I actually wrote to the beat. That happened after the George Floyd murder, after the Ahmaud Arbery murder, after these things that, you know had kind of plagued our mental health in 2020. So these were things that were on my head and on my heart. And it was natural to write about protests to a production like this. Like it was, you know, I just kind of felt like there was so much tension with police and my community. And so that's why the first part that I wrote was, wipe on the right, so me go left. I don't want to encounter y'all. I don't want to run into y'all. It was so many things that happened that reminded me that this conversation can't stop happening. I started also feeling like, man, are we only having this conversation because we're all in the house and we're in a pandemic? So I'm like, I got to make something and put it on record that will be on paper that regardless of a time frame, this conversation needs to be had. And I think what's beautiful about it was I ended up getting Yizzy to be involved, which I think is great. I think he added a lot of authenticity as an artist from South London who has rapped on grind before, rapped on drill before, you know, I, I really reached out to artists that I thought could really add something to, to the story that I couldn't. If I can't add male perspective of how a black male feels encountering police, I could never add a light skin perspective of how it feels like to like feel like you're targeted, but also feel like, but I'm also not like seen the same way that you're quite seen. I feel like this is middleman. And, you know, he has lyrics in that song talking about, I feel caught in the middle. It's frightening. Dark enough to get shot by feds, but not light enough to look anything like them. Like, these types of lyrics, I can't come with. So I just feel like there was so much perspective. And we all have come to the same sentiment that, like, protesting is important. People literally feel innate fear when they step out of their house. And this is what we're fighting against, that equality that they deserve. I'm going to fight for them to feel that. I'm going to fight for me to feel that. And protesting fights for people to feel that. Protesting has become more of a, of a like, an accepted thing now ever since that time frame. And now we see people protesting more actively and more vividly, like for Palestine. Now people are protesting for the homeless with uh, the city of Toronto being literally ridiculous and literally not caring about our homeless community. So I'm seeing protesting be more and more important. I'm hearing from, you know, a past bandmate of mine, Lex Leosis, talking about how her her building basically protested for like months to to ensure that three uh, neighbors did not get evicted. in this ridiculous times off of like, and they had to protest in order to make that change. So in my opinion, yeah, the song came off of the strength of like seeing how my people in in my community is being treated, how black people are being treated by law enforcement. But the idea of protesting overall is for communities that are marginalized in any way to fight for equality. And I think that that's important when people are online, like all these communities, they just uh, public unrest and this and that. It's like, no, they are, they are experiencing public unrest. That's why they're protesting. Like that's why they're forcing these conversations to happen. Oftentimes protests make you aware of a thing you didn't know was happening. That awareness is key, right? So 
yeah, again, a long way to explain, you know, where protest came from, why I think it's such an important song and what I hope people receive when they see the music video. Like it's not, the intent is not to be divisive. The intent is not to incite any sort of violence. The intent is to remind people, yo, like the chorus says it for itself. Like I got the over the shoulder look pat down. My paranoia is on 10 all the time. I'm I'm pretty sure the cops are looking for me. I meet at the boy I want track down. Whole squad pulled up, so they ran down. I locked the door, so the door got re- like I I I feel this stuff. There's a lot of people that live enough of an entitled life that they don't have to think about that, so they'll never understand why protesting makes sense. So here's a song for you to get it a little bit more. Here's a song for you to understand where we're coming from. I feel like this kind of speaks to like kind of what we were getting into like earlier in this conversation with like this past year and the pandemic and how. Even though this is something none of us wanted, there's a type of growth that has come out of it. So, you know, you kind of alluded to it where through this time of introspection and us reflecting, you're seeing protests happen a lot more and people aren't being silent. If they're not happy about something, they're doing something about it. And, you know, it's hard to say, would we have progressed to this point if this past year didn't happen? So it's like as much as it was kind of shitty, there's a lot of good things that have come out of it. If you'd like to see the artwork we're about to discuss, you'll find a link in the episode notes, or you can visit artbyrobinson.com slash art is human nature. I repeat, if you'd like to follow along and see the artwork we're about to discuss, you'll find a link in the episode notes, or you can visit artbyrobinson.com slash art is human nature. All right, let's get back to the episode. I want to show you the piece for this episode, the art piece for this episode, and get your take on it. This piece right here is the central piece that has kind of inspired this episode. This piece is titled Human Nature, and I just got like a few questions for you in regards to this piece. The first question I'd like to ask is, what stands out to you in this piece? I think what really stands out to me in this piece is that the head of the individual holding the umbrella is a plant and I feel like the cloud is supposed to represent their psyche but also like literal clouds that literally emit precipitation like rain and the rain would literally feed that person's psyche but the umbrella's in the way so the biggest thing that like I don't know exactly what it means but it feels like the umbrella which is a protector of of a sort is is a barrier from self in a way in this image I mean that's the first thing that comes to mind How does the piece make you feel? I feel like the piece, even though it feels like there's a blockade, I don't feel like hopelessness. Like the piece makes me feel hopeful. There's a rainbow in the right hand, upper right hand corner, which is like a form of hope. The colors that they use are light, bright. The person's stature, their posture is really like good. Like the person, the energy of their posture and everything just doesn't feel like someone that's defeated. Like I feel like the lightness of the image and everything is more like a hopefulness. So it makes me feel like maybe what it's representing is like that we are in control of our own direction or we can choose to tap into our own, you know, our own, our own cognizance. We get to make those choices, but the cloud is obviously their thoughts. So it's like, are you protecting yourself from what I feel like it's almost like knowledge is power and to open yourself up to more knowledge is to, it feels like protection to, prevent yourself from knowing but really you're preventing yourself from growing you know 
Oh, that's really interesting. And like a big thing with like, you know, with this podcast I wanted to do is I wanted to, because for me, I felt like with different art forms, there's an openness in terms of talking about them and, you know, just like sharing opinions. Like, let's say with film, I feel like um, everyone can, everyone freely talks about film and they're like, yeah, this is my, like, I like this movie. I didn't like it. I like this. I like that. And no one is like, well, you didn't go to film school. You know, everyone just has an opinion and it's cool. And I feel like it's the same with music. People speak freely. Um, but I've kind of noticed with with fine art, there is this kind of, um, you know, this kind of like elitism where, you know, people can sometimes not feel like, oh, like, I don't know anything about art. Can I have an opinion on it? Um, what if I'm wrong? And uh, a big thing I wanted, I wanted to do with the show is just have these conversations with people and just kind of, you know, do away with that and just make it so it's like people, it's like, yeah, man, like, you know, we can talk about art and, um, you know, a person can share their perception of a piece. I can share my perception of a piece and nobody's wrong. And um, it's just how we're perceiving it. Just like a movie or a song hits us differently. So I really, with that being said, I really love how like you perceive the piece and what you were able to pull from it. So I just want to say thank you for showing me that because I did feel kind of like, oh, like, am I going to get it right? But at the same time, like I literally this little exercise, like just stretched my mind because I don't do these types of exercises and I love art, but I do think that I naturally just feel like, yeah, like I'm not that type of artist. I don't really get to have a say, but literally my perspective just changed in this moment. So yeah, I really appreciate you showing that because that just really stretched my brain in like a really positive way, you know? That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm happy to hear that. After hearing like your perception of the piece, I'd like to share with you, I guess, like my thinking behind it. And I'm curious as to like what you think of that. But essentially the idea for this piece came from me thinking of just like creativity and you know how kind of like the pandemic, how like, you know, sometimes these like very shitty situations can lead to growth and how this idea that sometimes tears can water the soil and lead to growth, but sometimes too much water or too many tears can drown a plant. So it's like wrestling with that notion of not wanting to drown, but also knowing growth is important and rain is essential to growth. You know, because pain and, you know, pain sucks. And sometimes growth can be an uncomfortable or a painful experience, but you can't completely run away from it because then you won't grow. So it's kind of like that duality of uh, wrestling with that. And then also the idea that it also made me think of, you know, like Black people and like as a community for years and years, we've had so much rain. We've had so much, so many tears fall on us. And oftentimes without an umbrella, um, where we weren't protected. And, you know, like, what have we done historically? We've made really dope shit. You know what I mean? You know, like we've grown. So that's a, a thing I wanted to get across with this piece, that duality and going into the title of human nature of, you know, naturally we as people want to protect ourselves, but then knowing that sometimes in order to grow, we have to go through a tough situation. So it's like trying to not be stagnant, but at the same time wanting to protect yourself. But yeah, so I'm curious what you think of, you know, like that idea. I think that that's very powerful. It's interesting that I, I feel in a way I touched on some of it, but maybe not the full landscape of it, but very much the duality. Like there's a rainbow there. So like, obviously, like if you remove the umbrella, not everything you're going to get is this ominous. Like the picture is telling you there's something positive on the other side if you just allow yourself to receive it, even if you get rained on. So yeah, I think it's really powerful, the piece. I think you were able to expand on it 
um, and tie it into kind of like the pandemic. And I really love like the specificity of the word growth and how difficult that can be. I think that over the pandemic, so many people have learned that. I have absolutely learned and I've grown more than I ever have in this pandemic, like internally for sure. And it's been so painful. Like that that growth has been so stressful, so annoying, so occupying. But at the same time, I also feel so much more resilient because of it. And it's funny, a big concept of my life, this art is speaking to me right now because I've been been very about my music for a lot of years and I just didn't care about anything else. And so I didn't really learn much about myself outside of my music like that. And because my music, my name is Havaya Mighty, that's my government name. There is no distinction at all. So if somebody would talk to me and ask me, what do you like to do outside of making music? I don't have anything to talk about. I don't have nothing to say. Right. And I learned in the pandemic I had to have something else to say. My mental health was being affected because I had nothing else. And I realized there's such a void of self here. I, and I realized that that void of self came from being very comfortable in one side of my life as a musician. I felt like I just honed these skills. And I feel like it's fine. I'll be on stage. I'm the most confident person in the room. But you put me in a room where I'm not performing. I don't want to take up any space. I don't want to be seen, especially if it's like a club or something where everybody's having fun. I'm overthinking, oh, someone's going to judge my dance moves. Someone's... It's weird. It's really a different human being completely. And I tried to understand, like, what does that come from? Like, why am I so willing to, like, do all these things in my career? And then I'm, like, so complacent and doing kind of like nothing in my regular life. And it was realizing almost like a sense of self-policing, a sense of not seeking discovery in one full aspect of my life. And I think that that showed me why I was having limited growth in my personal life and exceptional growth in my career life. But it made me realize you can't, you can't have one without the other. You can't not know who you are and then have this very successful music career. One day is going to affect it. One day, you not being passionate about making your own meals and, or not tapping into self enough to care about certain health things or you know, not caring enough about mindfulness or wellness outside of making music it's going to hit you while you're on the road or it's going to hit you your your relationship is going to be too devastating to navigate so it's, it's not going to align you have to be aligned within to be aligned uh, exterior and so I feel like for me like that difficult growth like I've started to put myself in positions where I'm forcing that to happen and it's been so beautiful to see that it's happening even though the situations are difficult even though you know, I might worry about feeling less comfortable in this part of my life, in this part of my life. I just, as a black person, I'm also doing that, like talking about difficult and controversial themes, you know, and putting that in my music and asking myself, well, white people should know this already. I shouldn't have to tell them this, but it's like, yeah, but the sacrifice you make is for the greater good of, of, of educating and understanding overall. It might feel difficult for you to do, but the rainbow on the other side is like the few people that didn't get it, that now get it just because you were willing to talk about it. So like if your if your mental whatever is not going to be destroyed to talk about it, talk about it, you know. So it's helped both my career and my personal life. So yeah, this theme, this concept of like that balance of like protecting yourself from what's out there, but also allowing yourself to expand and explore what is out there to understand how you can contribute, how you can grow, how you can be a better asset to society, how you can be a better person to yourself. The pandemic and my last year and a half in it, I think this imagery has a lot like feels like it's evoking a lot of those themes for me it's also a black person the whole holding you know it's also the plants like even just the aspect of plants and the idea of cultivating an idea cultivating a thought and the rain feeding that cultivation like that's what all of that is and so also you have to cultivate outside of the thing you think you know 
as well. You have to cultivate you have to cultivate, you know, mindfulness when you wake up in the morning. You have to cultivate presence. I'm used to conversations where people ask me questions. I learned recently I have a difficult time with conversations where I'm supposed to ask questions back. I'm not used to that. Like, but my presence is based on my career. So if you base that based on your career, you're not gonna you're not gonna be with other people. You're gonna be in this elite world and people ain't gonna so it's just really interesting. Like this this you made this piece, I would imagine. It's amazing. Like it's it's really amazing. It's really like I would love to share this with people it's really a really a powerful piece really nice really really beautiful thank you thank you so to kind of uh pivot i want to get into your pen game and your lyricism on the song atlantic you have this one bar and it's definitely one of my favorites of yours you open the song saying money costs more than most things i love that bar i love the concept behind that song do you think you could break it down for um for the listeners Definitely. Yeah, I think I mean, it's it's really straightforward, but I think money is the most expensive thing in the world, which is an ironic statement. But the cost of money has been grave. So many people have died over the concept of money. So many people's livelihoods have been lost over the concept of money. And money is a concept, right? Like what money was, was initially like something that had real, real value, some a commodity like gold or a mule or a goat or something that you could trade like that that was our form of currency money became receipts for those money became receipts for gold that was put in vaults and banks initially right and those paper receipts indicated how much value you have somewhere else that's what it once was that's a concept but we still live off of that concept but the gold doesn't back the concept anymore so money is just an idea and yet it governs our thoughts our ideas how we function how our society is structured Atlantic largely came from the fact that in at least the U.S. and in so many other countries, like the countries are built on the backs of black people's labor, which was largely governed by money. Like the reason that this was able to happen and the reason that this happened and the profit for the opposition while we were laboring was the, the money that they were able to get. And what they were able to do with that money perpetuated the system we still live in, where we still live off of money. And then ironically, we as black people take that same money that our people labored and when they spend it on the companies that labored our folks to like buy something that actually has value with something that has no value. It's just a really interesting concept. It's, a, it's, a, it's expensive. Money is expensive. Like the idea of it is just so costly and it's cost us so much. So many people die over money. So many people die over what they think it means or how much they think that they need or literally not having enough of it. It came to me as I was writing the song, ironically, money, which is something we all hope to achieve, is the most costly thing in the world. So, yeah, that was the concept to me. It's a lot of different themes that kind of make that up. But I just think money's horrible. Like, it's horrible. We all need it. And you'll hear me talk about it in other songs. Like, I'm happy with how much I've, I've been able to achieve to sustain my livelihood and also to be able to give back because I understand this is the structure of society. But it's horrible. Like it's literally the concept of it is horrible. It's literally a trap. Not let's not let's not even talk about interest. Let's not even talk about the fact that this perceived thing has like 20% tacked on based on whether or not you pay it back within a certain time frame when somebody didn't really give you anything to begin with. They gave you a perception of something. Like they, you know, it's just the concept of it really boggles my mind. I, I could talk about it forever, but yeah, that the Atlantic came out of just like my hate, <laughs> my hate for money and what it's done specifically to my people. The next lyric question is, do you have a personal favorite lyric that you've wrote? 
Um, and it like I know it might be like really difficult to say like your like your absolute favorite, but like even just like one you're really fond of and you're like, man, that was like that's a dope bar. Um, one that you're really proud of. I think one that I'm proud of because it's come up in so many interviews uh, after I wrote it. And I was like, oh, this this line resonates with people is in women color. I say I got to do two times more to get four times less. Like just that little line right there. I think it really kind of like clearly dictated to some people who might not understand what I was coming, where I'm coming from, uh, exactly how I felt. It was very much like a layman's terms thing. And uh, I did a lot of interviews and people would be like, hey, so there was this line in the song and can you tell us a little bit more about that? It just seemed that it resonated with a lot of community, like a lot of people, but also people in communities where they wouldn't really understand what that feeling might be like. And they wanted to hear like me divulge on that, whether they understood it or not. Um, it made me realize that that line impacted a lot of people. Um, so that's definitely a lyric that stands out to me of mine. That's dope. That's dope. Um, which moments in your music career so far would you say has meant the most to you? Has meant the most? I would say like, I mean, it's hard to say has meant the most. So many things have meant a lot. But I would say the biggest moment of my career, the biggest turning point of my career was winning the Polaris Music Prize for sure in 2019, um, September of 2019. Um, I think for me, like I told you, I first realized I wanted to, I could do this in 2016 when I did a rap cypher. And that was because the the cypher went viral and there were a lot of people in the comments like, yo, that girl works at Longo McQuaid. Yo, is that Havaya? I was in the streets and there were people like, yo, were you in that rap video? Like... I went to the bank to get money to go to New York off of the strength of that cypher to like do a live cypher. So like now I'm getting flown out. Well, we we drove, but I'm getting drove out to places to do these things with like Ghostface Kill on the same stage, Twist on the same stage. And I'm at the bank pulling out a little money, like little money. Like I'm talking like $200. I'm nothing over here. And the person, the teller's like, did I see you in a video like the other day? And it's just like, it was just like, wow, right? So like that was my turning point to believe I could do it. You know, and that led to me putting out a project called Flower City with Young Dreads, the same producer of Protest. And we did. And I met him because he emailed me and he was like, yo, you're wicked in that cypher. Can we make music? We ended up doing a whole EP. This is like synergy to me. This is like I make this project Flower City because I'm scared that the cypher is going to be the last thing people ever hear from me. And I'm like, nah, 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 nah. I don't want to be a battle rapper. I can but what I do is I make music. So like I was a little bit worried that they're all discovering me off the cypher. I need them to know that I make albums. I make records. That's my that's my thing. So I made Flower City with Young Dreads, which um, allowed me to get the attention of my current team. And it was like, these were the people that were like, you have so much potential. You're really powerful. Wow, look what you did all on your own. We really want to join your team and help you grow this. And then it led to 13th Floor. My, my literally, in the two years, like it was like, wow, my career is happening. And then I made 13th Floor and I quit my job like, like a few days before it came out. I quit my job the day after the release party for it. And it was because we had projected, like I was mapping out the bank account. At this point, me and my manager had worked together, you know, through the process of like since Flower City. And um, they, they helped me like get to this point where I believed in myself even more. I believed I could put this project out. I believed I could talk about these things. And I put that project out and then it won the, one of the most prestigious awards in Canada. It's hard for that not to be the biggest moment of my career at this point, right? And then what, what followed that 
You know, the next biggest moment was maybe doing something like Sway in the morning, doing five fingers of death on Sway. That's like, we've gone full circle to like, I make albums, but I still have these bars and I still could cipher. And like, you know, it was, it was literally full circle for me. And now it's like, I was always scared once I finally got the recognition. I'm like, wow, they recognize me. But damn, like how are they going to recognize like my songs? It's very hard to transfer fans from like a little viral video to like music that you put out that's yours. And I feel I was able to do that with 13th Floor. I feel I was able to, at least in this country, at least in Canada, define myself as a musician, not a rapper, a musician who raps, a musician who also sings, a musician who produces, a musician who records my own vocals. Like I'm like DIY shorty, I'm doing all these things. And I wanted to be recognized for the things that I do. Some people, they just rap, like I just rap, rap, that's what I do. I want them to be recognized for that, but I am more of a overall kind of eclectic artist. And I want it to be seen as an artist, right? I feel like you get diminished to, when someone calls you a rapper, you get diminished to a small sector of what I actually do. So I think winning the Polaris Music Prize, which is an award that recognizes an album that's the best album in the country based on artistic merit alone, literally refines me as an artist, right? It's like, uh, you're, you have Jesse Reyes and Shad and Snotty Nose Redskins and these incredible artists. Dominique Fielzam, like these people being also nominated and they're amazing. They're incredible, unrefutable artists. And you were recognized, just to be recognized, first of all, I was already like, okay, shortlist, okay. Like no one can really say nothing. Like I'm amongst royalty here. To win was like, whoa, okay, right? But then there's the pressure of winning. Like, oh no, just like the cypher, this can't be the last thing I do. So Stock exchange is the next thing. And after stock exchange will be the next thing. And this year I've had the honor of doing like amazing music videos. My best music videos I've ever done have come out this year. My next music video is going to be super crazy. Just like the last one. And even before protests, the last one was also crazy. There's so much growth here. Like we had to, we had to look at the image that you made and just kind of shift the umbrella, you know, put it there at night. But during the day we get a little exposure and we grow a little bit and the Polaris Music Prize really, 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 really changed my, my career, you know. So I'm going to say that's the that's the thing I'm most grateful for. That's awesome. And, like, I think for me, like, as an artist, like, seeing seeing someone like yourself receive accolades, I feel like for a lot of people, it's like they feel like they won too. You know, whenever, like, you know, like a great piece of work is, like, acknowledged, it's like, oh, man, that's a win for all the creatives. You know what I mean? For, you know, for any upcoming artists who are like, you know, like figuring it out, what advice would you give them? Cool. Yeah. What I would say to people that, uh, you know, are looking to kind of do this is like believing in yourself is number one. And I say this in every interview and I say, I always say this too. I know it sounds corny and I know you might not believe me right now. Cause when I used to hear that and I'd be in school and like the cafeteria or something and some mentor would come by and be like, you really just got to believe in yourself. It would just sound like BS, you know, but it's really not. I'm my story that I gave before the cipher that 2016 era that became believing in myself before that I didn't I was making music so I believed that I was doing something cool and I was passionate about it but ask me if I would invite you to a show ask me if I would invite my mom to a show would I monetize the records no would I put it on every platform that I knew existed no would I do effortless and endless research on getting it out there absolutely not I would do research on the creative part of making the song I was passionate, always passionate, but I didn't believe that what I was doing was good enough to occupy even my family's attention. 
So I didn't believe in myself. And when I believed in myself was when a bunch of people on the internet were like, is that Hawaiian Mighty? Whoa, are you the girl in that video? Like, I really actually needed to be validated by other people. I didn't make no money off of that. I didn't, like, I didn't get any actual monetary gain off of that. But I, that changed my career. And I can literally look at that time frame and I can see how I manifested this. I can, the goals that I set, they all came true. I was like, I cannot be a battle rapper. I got to change all my emails and all my social media. And like, I was like, I, I need a booking agent because now I want to actually play real shows. And now I believe that people want to see me because the comments were like, she's dope. Like a million views in three days, two million views in, two, in, in a month was like, you don't have to believe you're good anymore. They told you you're good. And I don't know why I needed that. I understand. I understand. Like, I understand a million views, all those comments. There was a time when, yo, Facebook shares go crazy. When they go crazy, they go crazy. And I just never experienced that before or again. I've never experienced that even since. But I know that that changed my mindset and that mindset changed my life. And so I always say, if you don't believe in yourself, if that spark doesn't happen, you will never put 100% into you and the manifestation might never come back. I know that that's why it came back to me. I know that I set out to get a booking agent. I set out to get a manager. I set out to have a project that replaced the cipher. So that, and, I, and I set out to do it within a year. I was like, if I wait longer than a year, I'm old news. So I got to do that. I got to get, get grants. And I also got to get a booking agent and a manager. And everything happened within a year, year and a half. Everything. I made the project. I was able to get funding for that project. I applied for that grant myself. And it was my third time as a charm. I had tried before. And I nailed it this time. And I did it with a body of work that was so original. I worked with a producer and it was just me and him. I still work with him to this day. As I said, protest. That's, that's me and him. And that project led to me having a release party that I was able to have a booking agent come out to. And, and the booking agent was already talking to me via text, like, yo, I want to sign you before the project came out. And it was the booking agent who said, yo, I know this amazing, arti amazing artist manager. I would love for her to come to one of your shows. She came to one of my shows. That's my team. It really didn't go any further than that. And I'm so grateful for my team. I feel like I'm an independent artist and people think that I'm signed because of the strides we've been able to make. And all of that came off of believing in myself but I know the moment that it happened. So what I would say to an artist is like that's looking to get there is like recognize if you do or you don't. Like don't think because you're making songs and putting them out that you believe in yourself. Believing in yourself means eating and breathing and believing at every moment that like you should be thinking about it at every point of the day or at some point of every day. This should be coming up. Like the, you have this podcast, you came up with this idea, you make your art, you created a space for it. You decided to add the, con the conglomerate of talking to artists to bridge it all together like this. I know with, with this is this. You sat down and you brainstormed everything that you're doing. This is you believing in yourself. I can feel I can feel that. Right. And some of some people don't get to this place, not because they don't have the initiative, but because they actually just don't believe that they should occupy that amount of space. And. Once you pass that, you could do anything. And I really believe that however you can discover that, whether it's a viral video, which you can't force, that's like, uh, that's the nature. Like that's, you can't make that happen. But what you can make happen is surrounding yourself with people that validate you continually, that remind you that your art is worth seeing, that, that make you feel like you're feeding them when you give them what you have to give and make sure that you eliminate things that make you feel the opposition of that. And you can just curate that self-belief by, knowing what it is you want to do and surrounding yourself only with things that make that more of a reality for you. And hopefully you can, over time, realize that you deserve to take up that space. And not only do you deserve to, but there's people out there waiting for you. They're literally waiting 
to hear from you, to, to see from you, to, to learn from you. They're waiting. And yeah, that's the, that's, the, that's the advice that I always give. And I just can't, I can't think of better advice yet because I just really think that this is why I'm here is because that happened and I believed, wow, I could do this. And then I just really started doing it. I'd been making music from 2009 and putting it out to, to, to 2016. And I can say 2016, I felt the shift. I know my social media game became different. I, I, I made sure my emails matched. I answered every email that I got. I made sure I connected with every person that offered to do something for free for me off of the strength of that cipher because I'm like, damn, this, is, this could change my life. So either it will or it won't. It's, it's up to me. And I decided it will, and it did. And that's, I think if I didn't believe, if, I, if that video came out and I wasn't invested, if I didn't, if the comments didn't mean anything to me, I'd still be a local artist, no one really heard of, just as good of a rapper, but no one would care. No one would care. And I just had to believe in myself to make also like you believe in me and everybody else believe in me too. And likewise for what you're doing. So I would say like even us as an example, use both of us as an example that believing in yourself becomes a conglomerate of like ideas no one else could come up with. That's you. That comes from you. And yeah, I could, I could talk about it forever, but that's what I would say. <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you for that. I knew, I knew like definitely like speaking with you on the podcast, like I knew there'd be, you'd be dropping gems left and right. And that's like exactly what happened. So thank you, Havaya, for taking the time to do this. Like the energy you brought to this episode, the insight you brought to this episode, uh, the knowledge, the, the fortitude, everything is amazing. I'm really excited to put this episode out. And uh, yeah, no, just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate this interview very much. You had great questions. I loved seeing the art. I think that's something I'm going to try to do more is just like really look at visual art and remember that we all get to have a say and let that art speak to me too. So much perspective to be had there. You don't have to travel, right, to get that kind of perspective. So thank you for opening my brain to that, expanding my mind to that. And um, very much looking forward to seeing this out there. And if you do end up sharing this uh, artwork on socials, Please let me know. I would love to share that with my people. Just let them know the beautiful art that you've made. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Artist Human Nature podcast. I gotta say, if you haven't already listened to Havaya's music or watched one of her music videos, please do so. I'm a fan of a lot of people's music, but with Havaya, on top of loving her music, I also love the way she thinks and I love what she stands for. Matter of fact, she actually has a new single called Flamenco featuring Latin Grammy winner Mala Rodriguez. And you can check that out right after this. <laughs>